0: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but uh, an excellent one. Kenny Smith is in his 25th year as the studio analyst for Inside the NBA, the the most iconic sports studio show in history, the best sports studio show in history. Kenny will be in Indianapolis this weekend for all of Warner Brothers Discovery's coverage of the NBA All-Star Game. That includes alternative uh, telecasts, and uh and all sorts of interesting stuff so check out all of uh WBD's uh coverage for that they'll they'll be on multiple channels true tv tnt etc and uh we had a pretty good basketball discussion just on uh talked about the all-star game for sure talked about uh why Kenny is so high on the Celtics talked about Victor Wembanyama's ceiling got into Giannis a little bit who is fascinating to me and then uh, Kenny went a little bit old school when I asked him who the best uh, defenders were in the NBA during his time. So Kenny Smith of Inside the NBA coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, uh, very excited to have this guest. If you're a basketball fan, quite frankly, doesn't really need any introduction. Um, He's one of the members of the most iconic sports studio show in history. Essentially changed how people think, in my opinion, about broadcasting when it comes to television. Had a great career in the NBA. And obviously, if you're a college basketball fan, you know him from North Carolina. It is, as you probably guessed by now, Kenny Smith, who's in his 25th year as a studio analyst for Inside the NBA. He'll be in Indianapolis this weekend for TNT's coverage of the NBA All-Star Game. Uh, There's a lot going on with TNT, including game coverage, but they're doing alternative broadcasts as well. and, um, And it should be interesting. And with that... I bring in Kenny Smith. Kenny, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
2: Man, thanks for having me. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, always good to talk to a fellow New Yorker. So I appreciate that very much. All right. So let's start here. I I want to ask you sort of an overview question. Um, how much basketball do you watch in a given week? What's your basketball diet?
2: Wow. You know, um, th- there's a T-shirt that said basketball never stops. I think that was probably written for me uh, because... <laughs> From the basketball standpoint, you know, I'm watching college because we cover the final four when that happens. Um, then I'm, you know, just being a North Carolina basketball fan. So I'm always watching them when they play. Uh then NBA, you know, when we get to the studio, it's it's that's the last cherry, so to speak, on, on top. Like our, our show is really a a replication of what happened during the week or during the month. It's not really just a game that's happening right at that moment. So I'm watching that. And then I coach AAU basketball. So I'm in high school. So (laughs) It never stops for me, man. I'm I'm the true junkie for real.
0: When it comes to the All-Star game, um, and you've seen this evolution just as a player as well as a broadcaster, I find that a lot of people, it it may not reflect in the viewership per se, but I find a lot of basketball fans when I talk to them, they're more interested in like the skill stuff, like that kind of stuff, the slam dunk, the skills, as opposed to the game itself. But obviously the game itself is always going to draw more viewers and um, sort of just the reality of it. What about you as a broadcaster when you're sort of thinking about this stuff? Um, You've had a lot of great moments on, you know, that Saturday or that Friday, and I wonder for you—is that more interesting for you as a as someone who's been doing this a long time versus the game, or is the game
2: still the game for you? Yeah, not often the, the preliminary acts uh, can precede the actual um, main event, and so um, I think that All Star Saturday can precede it sometime. Um, it, it definitely on the diet of the let's say a social media standpoint and people talking about it and people, you know, engagement. I would say the engagement of All Star Saturday from a social media standpoint and a fans' point of view is way more active than oh, in the game, Steph Curry hit five threes in the All Star game. No one, but if he if he hits ten consecutive threes on, off a rack on Saturday night that's going to live more. So Saturday night is a vital part, I think. Uh, and, and, and and a lot of nights, probably the most important night of the weekend.
0: Warner Brothers Discovery slash Turner, like everyone else, particularly ESPN, um, has dipped its toe pretty big in alternative telecasts. Um, this year, Jason Tatum is going to be part of one of them for you guys. I know uh, I saw Charles and Draymond, um, are going to be doing one. I'm not sure you, – maybe you're doing one, or uh, if you are, I just – I didn't see that prior to our interview. But I wonder, again, as someone who has been broadcasting Kenny for a long time, do you find, like, those kind of – I mean, you have a lot of freedom on Inside the NBA, but I wonder for someone like you who kind of likes the freedom of something that's not so scripted, um, would you – you like alternative broadcasts? Do you like the idea of just sort of sitting around for a couple hours – no script, no A block, no B block, no C block, and just sort of having a conversation with whoever you're next to.
2: Well, I think we created alternative sports. <laughs> yeah,
0: I would agree with that.
2: I think our show, I think our show created that. Uh, you know, I, I, I always, I think you, you, you came in and you were saying, you know, the history of our show and iconic and all those things. I think the one thing that we've added that most people forget is there. I think we. We helped create the way sports television is looked at today in terms of podcast, alternative t- television, the way you uh, interact on in, engagement. because uh, when I came onto the show when we first started, it was like he talks, the next guy talks, then the third guy talks. Everyone has their 15 seconds, regardless of the what the other person says. We changed we flipped that upside down. Well, and, and basically said no if you listen and you don't like what someone says you can interrupt them just like a normal conversation there is no production meetings uh, Charles, myself and uh, Shaq have never been to a production meeting ever, ever. and so um, you know that's we just flipped it our, uh, uh, upside down and, and we made producers our producers and I, which they not made them but they trusted that we come in prepared and we'd come in with our personalities. And, and that's, that's what everything is about today. I I think every show kind of mimics that, but it did not exist. This is what people, it didn't exist before inside the NBA. It shouldn't exist. Not saying that we're the best at it now, The best? no, it never existed.
0: (laughs) The, I want to ask you about this. I have my own sort of theory on this. Um, one of the true sort of greatnesses about your show is that you, the show still remains relevant in 2024. A show that's had this kind of run still remains relevant. My – and by the way, featuring guys who haven't played in a while, which in itself is pretty remarkable. My sense or in some sense, my opinion as to why that is is because you guys continue to talk about things that exist today in the world beyond basketball. You remain relevant because you are willing to sort of go out – obviously you you know basketball, but you're willing to go outside of basketball where I think a lot of other studio shows have, one, never done that, and two, maybe they play it safe. But I, I, I that's my sort of take. But I do want to ask you from your perspective, wh- why does the show, in your opinion, still remain relevant even though you, Shaq, and uh, Charles have not played in the NBA obviously for multiple decades now?
2: Well, I think the first thing the relevancy comes from authentic, being authentic to what we are. Uh, it's not it's not confusing who we are. Um I, I think the other part is we don't disagree or agree to make this show seem um balanced. We're not gonna balance the show. If we all agree on something, we do. If we all don't agree on something, we won't. There's no there's no balance needed balance uh we organically relay things with inside of society that happens um with inside of how it not only affects the for- sports world but how it expe- uh, affects everything that we we do so it's more of an organic challenge i think and, and and it really comes from charles honestly because he's probably the first guy in in basketball other than you know In basketball, Muhammad Ali and everyone else before him. There's a lot of people before him. But when he was in an interview, I used to watch when he was playing with Phoenix and when he was playing with Philly. And he was the only guy that someone would say, hey, what do you think about Martha Stewart? Right after a locker room. Like, he just scored 30 points, 20 rebounds. And they put a microphone and said, what do you think about Martha Stewart? And, like, he was the only one. And at times, I think we all used to be like, "Man, I like to talk about that. I like, you know." But no one—we're in the middle of a locker room when you just had a, a successful game or a terrible game. He so he kind of brought that element to the show, um, that which allowed me to have an opinion about things that people didn't really typically know that I would have. Then when Shaq came in, he just threw another kerosene grenade on it, and it just keeps going and er- and Ernie being a great maestro of how to orchestrate that and keep it going and-, and keep the show going as well. But the relevancy comes from being authentic. There's no lies. Uh, you know, there's no lies. There's no contrived moment. <clears throat> We're not looking to start something with someone. If we start something with someone, it just happens. It- it's not because it was thought about in a production meeting 10 minutes, you know, 10 hours ago.
0: There, To me, um, th- all these other studio shows owe you guys a massive debt of gratitude because you were the forerunners in terms of allowing – not allowing is not the right word. You were the forerunners in terms of talking about things away from your sport, and now the best studio shows in my opinion – I'm a big fan of the Thierry Henry, Kate Abdel, Michael Richards. They're very similar to you guys in soccer, um, and they'll talk about race – in soccer. They'll talk about things that are going on in current events or politics as, as, as it relates to sports. You guys were the first. No one ever did that uh, before. And that's an incredible legacy because I think you changed the paradigm of how, uh, of how people do these shows. I want to ask you one sort of question about um, Warner Brothers Discovery, and then I'll, we'll sort of finish up on some more basketball stuff. Kenny, this is obviously sort of things that happen above your pay grade. That said, NBA media rights coming up, and that does impact you and your colleagues and your show, how close are you either informed or how close do you pay attention to um, where the NBA may place its media rights, how serious uh, Warner Brothers discovery is to retain its incumbency? Like, Do you think about that stuff or as on-air talent, do you not want to think, maybe there's a way you don't want to think about it so you don't have to think about what the future may or may not be. How do you approach it?
2: Well, the funny thing when you, you you said not above our pay grade is is actually our show probably for the network is probably in in the twenty five years of being there, has probably produced over two billion dollars for the <laughs> right. network. Yeah, it is profitable. So yeah. <laughs> just our show, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and that's a moderate number, just to be honest. Um, so those conversations. Uh, always with Charles, myself, Shaq, and Ernie, with every executive that runs our network, uh, because we there's not a show on the on on Turner that's more popular. Right. So that's like imagine you're talking to, you know, I don't know. I I, I can only I'm I'm, a, I'm old school, so I'll say Johnny Carson, and you, his talk show is on your network or you have the Cosby show right or you have you know the whatever the most popular show is
0: mash or something you, like that from cbs yeah, back yeah then. you have
2: the most popular show on the network and they're not going to have a conversation with you which is so we have they have those conversations with us all the time okay they will always want to reassure us because they also know that our phones will ring <laughs> <laughs> and they also know, they also know our phones will ring and they ring constantly and saying hey Something ever ha- happens, we'd love to have you guys as the, as a, t- a totality. Um, you know, we we are very profitable for the network, so without question, those conversations we don't even have to call. They call us. Like seriously, they'll call us, they'll have a meeting to say hey, we want to meet with you, want to go have dinner. Could you fly to this city and can we talk to you about this? Because that is. Like a super, we're a super valuable commodity to that to the network in terms of that, which you you don't think about individually until they start talking about it. You know, you're doing your job and you're having fun, but once you realize it, you know, we we also know that we we we're trying to enhance the network. There's a reason why, you know, I'll show I'll show can be on three different networks. There's a reason why there was a a, a combination of NCAA with CBS. There's a reason, you know. Self and Charles had never covered college basketball 12 years ago, ever. And they're like, "No, we want to do college basketball, and Kenny Charles and Ernie have to be part of it." Like, what? We've never college. We didn't do one regular season college game. And they were like, "We got to have those personalities on our network." And so, for sure, it's it's important.
0: Where? So, one follow up on that. Where does your where would your confidence level be in terms of Warner Brothers Discovery? continuing with the nba
2: i would say high like super high it it just wouldn't make sense you know if you don't want to and you have the platform you have the multiple platform because you have the streaming services that were just announced uh, that you put together you have all of the different other mechanisms now that we're jumping on the maxes and all of that world that we're jumping in now that our show was never seen on So you could stream it in different places and have it shown or in different places. So you become, instead of one network, it's like you have seven networks. So you don't need seven different networks. And so I think that's the valuable part that, you know, we understand. And and so I would say hi. Okay.
1: Selling a little or a lot. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
0: I'm going to finish up with a couple of basketball things. Um, as we talk uh, the second week of February, what what is the best team you have seen so far in the NBA? Uh, the
2: Boston Celtics. Um, I think. You know, when everyone says the Boston Celtics, and you we go Tatum and Brown, but those two guys don't have to play great to win. Or or they don't have to play great at the same time to win. They're the only team in the NBA where their best two players do not have to play well for them to win. When you have Derek White, you have Porzingis and have it. So the Boston Celtics, to me, are the best team. For the Milwaukee to win, Giannis has to play great. You know, and Dame Leonard has to be close to great. You know, for Philadelphia, we know. Embiid has to play great. great. You know. For the Boston Celtics, Kozingis might get 30. White might get 27. Al Hoffman might get 15 rebounds. Like, they they don't have to play great. The only two, it's the only team in the league where the best players don't have to play great.
0: Now that you've uh, seen him for a little bit, um, do you have a sense of what this, a realistic ceiling might be for Victor uh, Wembanyama?
2: I think a realistic—he's I mean, he, going to be the MVP of the league one year. Wow! He's just going to have, yeah, he's just going to have to have, you know, a team when he's when his team is is really good, you know, when they're when they're contender. But his ability to play like a guard uh, from that position uh, is unique. Um, but then defensively, he still is is very active. And he plays interior defense. So, the first guy who plays outside on offense and interior defense, like, I don't, I, he's the first guy to do that. If Rudy Gobert could basically handle the basketball and shoot threes, that would be Victor, you know, Wimbayama. So, his ability to kind of do both is the most unique talent that we've seen, you know, in the last decade.
0: Wow, that's high praise. You, I saw. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but I got a screener of the Amazon documentary on Giannis, which you appear in, and uh, with some pretty thoughtful comments. And you know, I'm sure you get asked to do a lot of these this stuff, Kenny. You obviously made a decision to do that one, Um, and it struck me that I think the reason you decided to do it is because you, like many of us, are just so struck by this guy's story of of where he was when he was a kid to to where he is now. I mean, it's it's in many ways a modern miracle that he is where he is now. And you know, you uh, you you. I'm sure you've spent a little bit of time with him. Yeah, obviously, you guys have interviewed him on set. Um, am I is my, am I accurate on this? Like, he just to me as a as a professional athlete or as an NBA guy, I just think of him differently because I think the guy is so extraordinary. I listen to him talk in press conferences. He's like wise beyond his years. But beyond that, he's like a miracle. The fact that he's is where he is is an incredible story for people. That's how I see it.
2: Yeah, I, I would say a, a modern miracle in the sense that you know his uh, inability to have access to the things that most people have access to growing up, and we're talking about the the necessity needs, and not have access to them, um, and then still being. The best basketball player in the world um, is pretty. That's the that's the miracle, you know. You need access, you know, to something, and um, basketball isn't like a um, singing. With that talent, you could carry. Doesn't matter if you're you're sitting on a park bench, or you're you're sitting in a president's room basketball is a skill set that you you have to stay sharp at you have to continually practice and you have to have access to do it your body eating all of the things and his it, it, you know his ability to do that yes without access it's a minor miracle secondly you said wise beyond his years his ability to understand the most poignant thing he ever said was when when the when the guy asked him do you think you were a failure how can a guy who come from his past ever think that he's a failure? Like it's an it's an impossible thought process, and so it it took you to a point a place where most people couldn't understand because no, you lost. That's a failure. How can but if you understand his story, how is that failure? Uh, uh, and it was so poignant on how he he described about. It's steps to success. Everyone has those steps. And every time that I play, I'm, I increase my chances in my steps. And sometimes I could get close to it and do it. And sometimes I don't, but it doesn't make me fail. It makes me not accomplish what I wanted to do that year, period. And, and I agree with that hundred percent because I understand that story growing up in New York City. You're, you're, you're a melting pot of people, cultures and, and, and religions and. It's just a melting pot. So I've seen Giannis before. Like I've talked to Giannis in a sense, or some when I say that someone like him, I know what that story is. I've seen guys sell me hats on the street and had conversations with them. Uh, You know, I understand what that culture is uh, of what he came from. So that was that. That's what made it fun to be part of.
0: Yeah, that his answer to me is the greatest. I don't even like sort of saying this because it minimizes a little bit. It's the greatest answer I've ever heard in a sports press conference by far.
2: In a moment, because it was so thoughtful in a moment where you didn't think you would be answering that question. So exactly. it wasn't like you, ha- you, you have to have that in you. You couldn't have had that answer pre-recorded in you. Correct. It just, has you have to live that. There's no way you could have just come up with that answer. Because it's a pre-recorded message. You know how we have, everyone played hard, everyone played smart, (laughs) we played 100%. You cannot have that in your pre-record. You have to live that.
0: Yep, it's well said. How did you view Doc Rivers uh, returning to coaching from broadcasting? There's a lot of broadcasters who often um, speak about going back into coaching. You know, Sometimes they get off or sometimes they don't. I know over the years you've even sort of kicked that around. Uh, But Doc actually has lived it. So he, he was with ESPN, and now he's to the Bucs. Uh, and I just wonder, again, as somebody who could probably relate to that situation, how do you see that?
2: Well, the only thing, you know, interesting about it is he's coaching the All-Star game with the terrible record that he's had already. <laughs> That's right. Other <laughs> than that, you know, he gets to coach the All-Star game on the work that the guy he's preceding uh, actually did. So uh, his, his work didn't get him the accomplishment. And that's not very often in life that you're just living off someone else's accomplishment. Yeah. So I think it's, it's really, which really is like the Milwaukee Bucks organization, like taking an opportunity to say, Hey, we're going to bring in someone, even though we feel we're having success Uh, or the, or not even, not we feel, but he's shown success because he's, he's coached the team is coaching the All-Star game. So he would have been the first-year coach coaching the NBA All-Star game, Um, which is, I'm not sure if there's many that's ever done that Um, in the history of basketball. And the guy gets fired. So I I think that that's the really precarious part about it more than anything else. But coaches get fired. Guys like Doc who who are qualified are always going to be in demand. But to take over a team that was the coaches coach is coaching the All-Star game because they're successful. That's the funny part about it.
0: Last two for you. Um based on your observations or based on just even talking to these people, uh, what current player in the NBA, or maybe there are there's obviously probably multiple. What current players in the NBA do you think could find success as broadcasters if they entered the profession after their career was was over?
2: Well, it's a lot of them, honestly. Um Giannis. You talked about him, his honesty. Would, would reap through the television screen and drip out into your, your living room. Uh, Steph Curry, uh, his ability to explain how he's great when he when you ask him a question. In 15 seconds, he can explain it with, and break it down where, to the simplicity, he would be great at it. LeBron, obviously, would be great at it. Uh, his memory of things that's happened, like and when they happen, it would always... Prelude, like anyone else, because he could, he could, he could probably recall things as players say he does, and we'd see it on television. Like he's like, oh no, back in the third quarter when you ran that screen and you didn't dive to the rim, like whoa, that was a like he can he can recall. So that way he would be great at it. Um, everyone thinks that you know the guys who are very controversial, um, are going to be good at it. I don't think I don't always agree with that. I think that. You know, controversial is like cotton candy. It dissolves real quickly. And, but substance stays. So I think that's the difference in our show. There's always going to be a next guy who's, who can, you know, poke the bear. But, uh, you know, we feed the bear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I may steal that one from from my kids. Um, All right. The last one uh, for me. You know, I'm sure over the years, like, you know, you've been asked a million times, Kenny, who's the best player you ever played against? Kenny, who's the best player in the NBA? So I want to sort of ask something just a little more specific um, to you. During your career, who would you consider was the best defender? Not necessarily defending you, but the best defender in the game, and why? So many people focus on offense, but during your playing career, who's the best defensive player? That you saw, and why would you pick that person?
2: It, it, you know, just, if you're talking strictly de- defense, I would say there were about two or three guys that were really close, uh, and one of them still stood above all of them. Michael Cooper was one defensively. Alvin Robertson. yeah, you know, after basketball got in a lot of trouble, but um, you know, was a great, great basketball defender. Vernon Maxwell was a great defender, uh, but Michael Jordan was the best defender as well Wow! In, in basketball. He's the only player that when every coach that I've, I've had multiple coaches and, and coaches would say things like this and not even realize they're saying it. OK, we're going to run a three play, but Michael's going to be on the right side. So we're going to run it on the left. <laughs> so he's not in the play. Like, we didn't even do that. And Scottie Pippen was a great defender, but we never said things like that. Like, we're going to run a play to make sure he's not on the side of the floor. Like, that's when you're a great defender. And then Muggsy Bogues doesn't get enough credit for his defense. Because even big guys would be nervous when they're in the post that he's coming around somewhere and dribbling the basketball. So he affected the game. He changed the way you thought Offensively, so Muggsley, Michael Cooper, Alvin Robinson, uh, Jordan. Michael Jordan—they changed the way you would run your offense. Like Muggsy Bogues is guarding your point guard, your two guard would bring the basketball up. Oh, now great. he's the point. That's fascinating. Like, he just you got run it. your point guard is no longer the point guard. Do you buy? Like, do you who
0: Do you buy? I'm sorry, to you, so Do you buy into like the sort of the thought process that if Muggsy Bogues was six foot, he'd be in the he'd be in the basketball hall of fame? Or was it because he no, was, I think, I or is it because, because of his size. Five, that's why. That's what made him great. Do you know what I mean? That's what
2: made him. Good? That's what made him mugsy, is the fact that he was five three. Yeah. Okay. He was a ghost. It, it was literally like playing against a ghost. <laughs> like you'd see him, and you look, and he's gone. And you look to the other side, and he's there, and you'd be shocked, you'd be like, oh my god. He it was like a, playing against a ghost. And um, like I said, there's there's no one that teams could say they did that with Muggsy, Michael, that they would change their offense because of that. So the most underrated defender of all time is Muggsy Boggs. Oh, I love that. That's a great answer. Not
0: one I expected to. Uh, Kenny Smith is in his 25th year as the studio analyst for Inside the NBA. Uh, again, the iconic, you know, I don't even know at this point how many Emmys they've won, but it really doesn't matter uh, the Emmy number. What matters is the fact that uh, their show is the test of time. And what it's meant to other shows he'll be in indianapolis this weekend for all of warner brothers discovery slash turner's coverage of the nba all-star game uh check him out and uh we will obviously continue to see him for years as the nba eventually negotiates its media rights deal Uh, kenny it's great to catch up with you man um i have such great admiration for your show and the behind the scenes people who put it together and i appreciate you coming on today the sports media podcast
2: i appreciate you man
0: All right, my thanks to Kenny Smith uh, for his insight. That was uh, really, really interesting, especially if you're like an old-school basketball fan about Muggsy Bogues and and Jordan, et cetera. Um, Head to the archives if you like these conversations. Previous uh, podcast episodes include Noah Eagle, who just did the Nickelodeon Super Bowl broadcast, uh, and obviously is NBC's college football play-by-play announcer. Um, If you're interested in how things get covered in terms of the NFL, had uh, Nate Taylor and Tim Calakami talking about covering the Chiefs, and... The Niners Um, Had uh, Ray Ferraro And Sean McDonough Not too long ago Talking about uh, Hockey broadcasting Paul Feinbaum On this podcast If you like women's basketball Chantel Jennings One of the best writers In the country On that was on this podcast Again Head to the archives There should be Some stuff you like If you do like this stuff Leave us a five star review And a nice note That is how this podcast continues I want to thank Patrick Antonetti For his hard work Thank you to everybody At Odyssey for their support And thank you for listening We'll see you soon On Sports Media Podcast